Hello and welcome to Church at the Bridge. Thank you so much for checking out our weekly sermon podcast. Today we're starting a brand new series called Life with Ants. And the title of today's message is The Little Things Make a Big Difference. We pray you enjoy today's word. Amen. Well, good morning, ladies and gentlemen, and thank you for joining us. Hey, so we have something that I've kind of been doing over the last couple of weeks. Um, I believe what the Word of God says. Um, I mean, that's what we're supposed to do as believers, right? Believe. Um, and so today we have the privilege of sharing the Word of God with you. And the Word of God says that, uh, we, that our faith is evident by not just what we do and how we respond, but also what we confess. And so I want you to join with me this morning. How many of you believe that God has something to speak to you from his word? No, I didn't say from my opinion. I, I'm, I'm, take me out of the picture, right? But if you believe that, then I want you to, to say this along with us. And for those of you that are joining us online, you can do that right there. Thank you, by the way, for allowing us to come into your homes. Say this with me. I have ears to hear, eyes to perceive, and a heart to understand and receive. The living word of God. Now, if you believe that, go ahead and give God a praise offering. All right. Now, remember what you said. Now, today we're starting a new series. It's a series entitled Life with Ants. Now, I know what some of you are thinking already, right? Some of you are already thinking, wait, I thought we came here to hear about God, right? And uh, for some of us, you're probably thinking, who wants to live with ants? Certainly not me, right? And then there are some of us who are thinking, what can uh, an ant teach me about life? And then there are those of us who are just completely confused. I get it. But I want you to track with me for a moment because the Word of God has a lot to say. And it does talk to us about ants. Now, if you're like me, you don't live with the consciousness of ants. They're insignificant to us, right? And when they show up on your picnic table or maybe uh, somewhere in your home, what you might do is the same thing that I do. You might flick them away or you might just outright step on them or crush them. But the thing is this, that God created ants for a purpose. And one of their purposes is to teach us about life. Turn with me in your Bibles, if you would, to Proverbs chapter 6, verses 6 through 11. This is going to be our foundational scripture for the entirety of this series, but I want you to see that it starts off by God telling us, go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander, no overseer or ruler, and yet it stores its provisions in summer and gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, you sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a thief in scarcity, like an armed man. Now, as we start off this morning and we take time to consider the scriptures, I want to point out that the scriptures are full of wisdom. The scriptures are God's attempt to introduce himself to us, to his ways, to his truth, and they provide us much instruction for life for success in life even. And it's important for us, whether you believe in Jesus or not, to consider something, that what we just read is chock full of wisdom. And more than just the wisdom it provides you, 
It's a beckoning from God that invites us to know him and to know his ways. Whether you know it or not, let me start off by simply saying this to you, that God is speaking to you directly, personally. Take me out of the equation. I'm no one in light of that. Today, I want you to simply consider the truth that resides in God's Word. Now, we've come to a point in life where mostly everything came to a grinding halt. Businesses shut down, schools closed, relationships, they exist from a distance. <laughs> People are working from home and congregating as the body of Christ from behind a screen. Listen closely. I understand the value of that as a resource. I mean, we do it ourselves. There's nothing wrong with it. But here's what I want you to consider that congregating as the body of Christ from behind a screen has become normal and comfortable. It's become normal and comfortable. Normal and comfortable. And in the midst of all this, here's the danger. That as people, we've adapted and we've become content and life has changed. And in these verses, we see that God addresses what life is supposed to look like. What it's actually supposed to look like. And so he begins to telling us, watch this. The book of Proverbs is a book that is characterized by its intent to convey the wisdom of God and to introduce the person of God through his wisdom. And what he says is this, in all his wisdom, he says, go to the end. Don't, he, he doesn't say go to your friends. He doesn't say go to your therapist. He doesn't say go to your pastor. He doesn't say consult the news. He says, go to the end. And he clarifies the purpose of turning to the end. See, the end teaches us about breaking free from the destructive cycle of the sluggard. The sluggard by definition, according to the scriptures, is content. The sluggard adapts to life at a pace of ease. It does the bare minimum and eventually becomes lazy about life, but not just any life. You got to see that the wisdom that God gives us for life, that pertains to life, also pertains to godliness. It pertains to relationship. It pertains to a life that's much more than what we've come to know. It's life in the kingdom. And so the proverb here that we're reading is talking about not just any life. It's talking about the wisdom of God and thus the ways of God. It's life according to God's kingdom. It's a better way. And what I want you to begin to see is this, is that God did not create you and I to live like a sluggard. But like the end. I'll tell you what the wisdom is in that. See, the wisdom in that is that there is wisdom past the point of contentment. Now, I know that for some of us, you know, you might be a Bible veteran, and I applaud what God 
is doing in your life and the great insight that you have into the word. I know that the Bible calls us to live with contentment in all circumstances, but it does not call us to be content to the point that it leads us to complacency. Complacency that's not consistent with God's call upon our lives. So for some of us right now, you're wondering, okay, so how can such a small thing as an ant provide me something so great as wisdom from God? And to you, I say, I'm glad you asked. Because today we'll be digging in to the topic of little things make a big difference. Say that with me. Little things make a big difference. Now, I pray that you're weighing the value, the worth of those words. If we would just stop to consider these five little verses that we just read in the book of Proverbs chapter 6, from verses 6 to 11, we would see that the ant is built for success. Listen closely. The ant is not waiting on God to tell it how to function. You know why? Because it knows what it was designed for. It was designed to reap the harvest. Therefore, the scripture tells us that it requires no captain or overseer. It knows exactly what God created it for, and it functions according to the master's plan. Right? It always has tomorrow in mind. It's not moved to action by others. It's not waiting for life to happen. And its reward is always plentiful. And while this insect is small and insignificant to the naked eye, as it works in the unseen, what we see is that this little, small, insignificant ant and the little, small, and insignificant things that it concerns itself with, these things go a long way. As we begin, I'd like you to consider this question. The reality in your own heart, according to what we just read. Are you approaching life in the kingdom of God? You know what? Let me just make that even simpler. Are you approaching life as the ant or the sluggard? Look, it's not my place to judge or condemn, nor is it anyone's here. And we, that's not who we are. That's not what we do. But what we do do is measure the word of God against all that we encounter in life. It's the way we should approach life. And it's an important question to consider. I didn't ask you, are you a sluggard? Because whether you see yourself as a sluggard or not, the scriptures declare that you are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. The scriptures declare that you are a new creation, that all things pass away. Behold, all things become new. There's something about you, but the truth is that it's very possible for us to believe according to a nature that's no longer ours and therefore act according to it. And so are you approaching life in the kingdom of God? Are you approaching life as the end or the sluggard? I want us to turn to the book of 1 Kings chapter 17. We're going to look at verses 7 through 16, and we're going to look at an example from the life of a widow. This woman had little, little that became much. Starting at verse 6 in 1 Kings 17, uh, sorry, verse 7, I mean to say, in uh, 1 Kings 17, it says, Sometime later the brook dried up because there had been no rain 
in the land. So get this. There's a drought. What does that mean in those days? No rain, no rain in those days meant no crop. No rain meant no crop, which meant you had feeble animals, which meant you had very little meat, which meant the economy was struggling. So get this, it was a tough time. And in the midst of this, verse 8 tells us that the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Elijah, and God says to him in verse 9, go at once to Zarephath in the region of Sidon and stay there. For I have directed a widow there to supply you with food. And so he went to Zarephath. And when he came to the town gate, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and asked, would you bring me a little water in a jar so I may have a drink? And as she was going to get it, he called and he said, bring me please a piece of bread. As surely as the Lord your God lives, she replied, I don't have any bread. Only a handful of flour in a jar and a little olive oil in the jug. I'm gathering a few sticks to take home and make a meal for myself and my son that we may eat, watch this, and die. And Elijah said to her, don't be afraid. Go home and do as you have said. But first make a small loaf of bread for me. From what you have and bring it to me and then make something for yourself and your son. For this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. The jar of flour will not be used up and the jug of oil will not run dry until the day the Lord sends rain on the land. And she went away and did as Elijah had told her. And so there was food every day for Elijah and for the woman and her family. For the jar of flour was not used up and the jug of oil did not run dry in keeping with the word the Lord had spoken by Elijah. And so I want us to dig into this a little bit. This woman was literally at the end of a rope. Would you agree? She's got nothing left. As a matter of fact, what the scripture tells us is that she's picking up some sticks and she's holding on to a little bit of flour and a little bit of oil and two little jugs and she's, she's preparing her last meal. But watch this. She's not just preparing to eat, she's also preparing to die. Her and her son. In other words, in her perspective, this is the end. You know, as people, we're driven with a drive to survive. And yet, what we find is that this woman has no more drive. She has no more fight in her. She's not dreaming of new possibilities. She's not seeking any other alternatives. And she's certainly not turning to God. And in the middle of this calamity, get this, while she's down to her last, Elijah, the man of God, shows up. And he says to her, sweetheart, get me a little water and make me some bread. And what we see is that her response, in essence, is this. It can be summarized with these two words, with these three words. It's not enough. I don't have enough. I have very little. I have too little. Now, we have to consider a question here. As I was studying this, it, it struck me that the scripture clearly states that God told Elijah in the midst of a drought, leave here and go to another place, right, Zarephath, where there was also a drought. And he says, and there... I have commanded a widow to supply you your needs for the duration of this drought. 
That's in essence what God is doing. The thing is that when Elijah gets to Zarephath, if we just consider the scriptures, does it appear like this woman had received any command from God? It doesn't appear like it. How then did she receive instruction from the Lord to feed Elijah when all she sees is lack? That's a great question. See, what she didn't know is that like the ant, she too was made by God to be a vessel for abundant supply. She just didn't know it. Now, I know for some people, you know, some people go, oh, here we go. This is one of those prosperity preachers. Let me tell you the reality. That the scripture says this out of the words of Jesus. He says, I came to give you life and life more abundantly. The scripture says that God supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. The scriptures declare that God is giving you everything pertains to life and godliness according to his great and precious the knowledge of his great and precious promises the scriptures declare that god has blessed you with every spiritual blessing that's what the scriptures say and so you see each and every one of us is a container for the for god's supply each and every one of us is a vessel through which god could do something great But I propose this question to all of us. Do we see ourselves as this widow, little and small and lacking? Or do we see the command that God has already placed in our very DNA that says you were built for success, you were built to be a blessing and to bless others, you are blessed and highly favored? Do you believe that? The scripture says that everything you set your hands to prospers. The scripture says, it gives us great example that we've been promoted from the pit to the palace. That we've gone from the miry clay and we've been set upon a high rock. The scripture tells us that you are above only and never beneath. That you are seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right next to God. And so when this woman says, I don't have enough. I'm just getting ready to die. Elijah's unmoved by her response and he tells her to go ahead and make the bread and bring him water because God promised that he would not cease the flow of oil and flour in her jars until the drought ended. Listen, this might not be your current predicament at the moment. Maybe it is. But this woman could have missed the turnaround that this encounter would produce if Elijah hadn't told her how God works. Today, I don't say this without pride. I come to you as a type of Elijah, just bringing you a message from God, from his word, pointing you to what God's saying through his word. And I believe that what we should consider is that what we call little, God calls much. What you call little, God calls much. I mean, this woman really was down to her last. She had a small amount of oil and flour, but that was not the determining factor in the amount of what she had. Listen closely. What determined the amount of what she had was what she believed she could do with it. 
What do you believe about what you can do with what God has placed in your hands? What have you been calling little that God has decreed to be much? Is it an area of giftedness in your life? Is it an opportunity that you're wasting? Is it something that you're knowledgeable in? Is it time poorly invested? Is it the finances you've been entrusted with to manage? Is it the view you maintain yourself? Is it your role in the body of Christ? Is it your life? Is it the ministry you left? The very thing that God called you to use to be a gift in the body to reach many. Listen, there's nothing little in the kingdom of God and there's nothing little about you. Everything that God has created amounts to much. Now, you better go ahead and tell yourself, I am much. I pray that you see the value and the worth in that because God that does not call you little. The scripture says that he chooses the base things. The King James puts it this way, the foolish things to confound the wise. You are the very vehicle by which God wants to display his wisdom. And what you do with the little things in your life can produce much if you would just change your perspective and start using it. If you would start using it and stop making excuses. Zechariah 4.10, the first half of it tells, well, I'll just read Zechariah 4, the whole verse 10, it says, Do not despise these small beginnings, for the Lord rejoices to see the work begin. See the plumb line in Zerubbabel's hand. While everybody in Israel is seeing this as something small, the scriptures reveal to us that God sees something greater. See, what you call small, God calls a beginning. What you've been calling small, God has been calling a beginning. And God is saying to you, take these small steps and begin on a life journey with me that will lead you to greater and much, much more life in the kingdom. Listen, don't miss what God has for you by casting aside the little things in your life. So for the couple of moments that I have here, I want to just point your attention to a few things. A few small things that lead us to much according to life in the kingdom. The very first one that I want to leave you with here is the ways of God's kingdom. Turn with me quickly to Matthew 13 verses 31 to 33. This is Jesus speaking. He tells them in a parable, in another parable, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and planted in his field. Though it is the smallest of all seeds, yet when it grows, it is the largest garden plant of garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds come and perch in its branches. And he told them still another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like yeast that a woman took and mixed into about 60 pounds of flour until it worked through all the dough. Listen, the power of God's kingdom in your life starts like anything else. It starts off appearing to be small. Appearing to be small. Just a small part of my life. And yet what we see here is that 
according to the words of Jesus, the impact that this small beginning has results in something so great. It builds up your entire life. It's, it establishes you as an oak of righteousness. It builds you up to declare the goodness and the works of God. The mustard seed, therefore, it grows according to what we see, to become the largest amongst its kind to the extent that it towers over its counterparts in the garden and it provides a place of rest for all the birds in the mist. What we see about the yeast is that the yeast is but a minute amount in comparison to all the flour that it gets mixed with. To the naked eye, you pour it in and it just, you lose it. It's small, it's insignificant, and yet what we see is that this minute amount in comparison to all the flour, it, 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 once it gets mixed in to the flour, it works through the whole dough. I want you to consider that the key to reaping much according to God's kingdom system relies upon the man who plants in his field and the woman who takes what's in her hands, and works it into every facet of what God has given her. Hmm. I have a question, two questions actually. How are you sowing the truth revealed in God's kingdom into your plot of life? What are you doing with this message of the gospel? How is it impacting your decisions how is it impacting how you view life? How is it impacting your response to the current circumstances and the trials and tribulations that come and those that will come? How is it impacting your approach to daily living? Oh, you know, I, I take 10 minutes in the morning to read the word. Well, praise God. But do you know that those 10 minutes are meant to impact 24 hours of your life? Do you know that one small seed of faith in the word of God has the power to move mountains in your life? The next question I have for you is how are you working God's ways into every facet of your life? It might appear small. Listen, what will you do, if anything, with the message you receive today? Will you just set it aside as a little jar or will you allow it to in, infiltrate and, and become a part of everything that you're thinking about? Everything that you're facing in this week to come. Will you go back and eat and chew and meditate and consider the wisdom of God? 1 Corinthians 1.18 says this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Listen, to the world what you believe is foolishness, but to you the scripture says it is the power of God. How's that? For small. The power of God. So I want to encourage you to live according to the ways of God's kingdom. Sow it into every facet of your life and you'll reap the kingdom's harvest. You know why God tells us to go to the ant? Because we forget that we were created 
to harvest. Didn't Jesus say, Jesus himself say, pray to the Lord of the what? Harvest for laborers. He's talking about kingdom people. For the harvest is ripe and the laborers are few. You know what's interesting about the laborer in the midst of the harvest? That the laborer also partakes of the harvest. It's time that you begin to realize that God has called you to harvest in places you have not sown. And to reap from vineyards you did not plant. Listen, don't take my word for it. This is all in the scriptures. But if we're to see that, and if we're to do that for the glory of God and to reveal the kingdom of God, not, not for our benefit, first and foremost, no, for the king of kings. If we're to do that, we must live according to the ways of God's kingdom. The second thing I want to leave you with here is this, that it's your faithfulness. Your faithfulness. What are you talking about, Pastor Jose? Turn with me to Luke 16, verses 10 through 12. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with what? Much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? Now, specifically, these verses refer to the value we place on money and what we do with it in relation to God's kingdom. But don't worry, ladies and gentlemen. I'm not taking an offering, and I'm not even talking about money. Don't worry about that. What I want us to hone in on is the issue of faithfulness. And I want you to see what Jesus says. He says, whatever you're faithful with in the little, you'll be faithful with that in the much. And whatever you're dishonest or unfaithful with in the little, you'll also be dishonest and unfaithful with in the much. I want you to see that faithfulness, we live in a day and age where faithfulness is something that is lacking by and large. Have you ever made a commitment that you didn't keep? Oh, don't, don't look at me that way. I tell on me. Yeah, of course you have. I have. We make commitments that we don't keep. We declare things that, we, that, that we, we're sold out to that we do nothing with. We've all been there. And so I'm not talking about your faithfulness to your relationships. I'm not talking about your faithfulness to your bank account. I'm not talking about your faithfulness to your job or your many priorities. Listen, there is plenty of faithfulness for many things in our lives. But what Jesus is talking about here is faithfulness to the kingdom of God. And I want you to get this, that as children of God, as believers of God, as people called and predestined unto good works... The good that God created you for starts with the good you do in the unseen. It's in service to the king and his kingdom. It's something called faithfulness. You know, the scriptures say that for the believer, your yes 
should be your yes. And your no, your no. The scripture says that we will be held accountable for every word that is void. In other words, it's a word that's spoken and declared. Oh, yep, I'll sign up for that. Yes, you can count on me. Yes, I'll do that. But it's empty of faithfulness, of truth. See, what you do for, the, for God's kingdom will provide you your own castle. It'll provide wherever you are. And I'm not talking about exalting yourself. What I'm talking about is God has destined you to be of use in this kingdom, to be a light in this world, to make a difference. Listen to Luke 12, 42 through 44. The Lord answered, who then is the faithful and wise manager whom the master puts in charge of his servants to give them their food allowance at the proper time. It will be good for that servant whom the master finds doing so when he returns. Truly, I tell you, he will put him in charge of all his possessions. I want you to notice that faithfulness is not just what you do when you perceive the presence of the master. Faithfulness is what you always do at all times. For the master. For him. It's what you do in the kingdom. So I want to encourage you to stay faithful in the little. And you'll experience the joys of God's faithfulness in much. Amen. We're running short on time here. So I want to just jump over to my last point. There's a lot more that I want to say to you, but today I want to leave you with one more passage of Scripture. One more point. And it's this. It's the little things that you allow in your garden. Turn with me to Song of Solomon, chapter 2, verse 15. I want you to see something here. Now, let me just give you some, some, some context here for this. The book of, song of Solomon is a beautiful love song. It's a poem of sorts. Inspired by God in the heart of a man named Solomon who at one point in his life walked with God. Was devoted to God. And as such, the scripture declares that this man was bestowed great wisdom from God. Wisdom that exceeded all the knowledge and wisdom and understanding of men. Kings and queens came and bowed at this man's feet seeking the wisdom of God that he had, seeking insight from him. And the book of Song of Solomons is more than just a depiction of a man and a woman in their love story. That's how you can read it at face value, but what it's actually depicting is God's relationship to his people. And this devotion, this romance that exists between God the Father and you the child. Jesus the bridesman and you his bride. And so listen to what it tells us in Song of Solomon chapter 2 verse 15. It says, catch for us the foxes. The little foxes that ruin the vineyards. Listen closely. Our vineyards that are in bloom. 
Listen, your life is your garden. You know, a couple of weeks back during our first Wednesday service, our communion service, I was alluding to something about how because of what Jesus has done, he has completely redeemed us, the scripture says. And he's redeemed us, but redeemed us to what? And what many people fail to realize is this, that while we may not be in the Garden of Eden, those rights, that authority, that calling, that dominion, that identity has been restored. The problem is that people are not delving into who they are in Christ. When the scripture says that we have been made in his image and in his likeness, it's talking about God's original intent. And because we came to a place of brokenness, God had to restore that. And he restored that. Now, from this point forward, what we have is a journey of discovering who we are in Christ. We have everything provided to us. Dominion, safety, authority, blessing. Good works that are ahead of us. We're back in the garden. And your life is your garden. And the little things that you allow in your garden that don't belong there threaten to ruin the fruit that you were created to produce. You know, I know that for some of us, what, what's ours, we treat however we want. But I want you to see something, that the fruit of your garden is not yours. It's not yours alone. Listen closely again. He says, catch for us the foxes, the little foxes that ruin the vineyards, our vineyards that are in bloom. This is an important point because God doesn't refer to the fruit of your garden as yours. He calls it ours. God promises you and I fruitfulness in life. That's his honor and his joy and, and, and his goodness towards all mankind. That's his part of the relationship. But our part is to focus on the foxes. The little things that threaten to spoil the promises and purposes of God in our lives. The scripture says that you and I are called to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. It's talking about in awe and in reverence of God. What I want you to see is this, that you and God together are a majority, but God holds you responsible for your garden. And so he says, tend to it and catch that which threatens it. I believe it's 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 3 to 5, something like that, where it talks about how we, uh, our weapons, the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God. To do what? To pull down strongholds. And any imagination that exalts itself above the knowledge of God. And then it tells us this, and we take them captive. You know what that word captive there means? It means to catch and arrest. And so I want to propose something to you as we stand here and we close this morning. 
I want to propose to you first and foremost that the little things in life matter. But more importantly, it's the little things that you do with those little things that determine if you're ruler of a little or much. God calls you a manager, a steward. A steward in the kingdom. And the question that I leave you with today is simply this. What will you do with all those little things? Because the little things are what God uses to lead you to much. Let's take a moment in prayer here as we close. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning in the mighty and precious name of Jesus. Lord, we thank you for the truth that is revealed in your word and Holy Spirit. We trust in what your word says that today you have led us to truth and that you are showing us that which is to come. Thank you, O oh great teacher, for enlightening us to the scriptures. More importantly, thank you for equipping us unto good works. Today, you've taught us, you've corrected us, you've instructed us in righteousness, and Lord, you've thoroughly equipped us. Now, Lord, I pray, help us to see what you see. Help us to appreciate that which is little so that we can do what you've called us to much. We celebrate all you've done in Jesus. Now, it's very possible today that there's, there's someone here joining us or maybe you're joining us online and today you're, you're considering your life and you're considering your life in light of the scriptures, in light of who God is and what you're saying is, man, I've been focusing on all these things that I've been calling great and I've been placing much value on, but what I'm realizing is that they're little. And while I've been working them in my life, I haven't been doing much with them because it hasn't been for God. It's been for me. And what you're wrestling with now is a dissatisfaction that acknowledges the fact that you need God. And if that's where you are today, I've got good news for you. It's a little itty bitty message that many people miss. John 3, 16 and 17 says this, For God so loved you that he gave his one and only son. Now what does that mean? What that means is simply this. I'll summarize it for you. God so loved you and I, the entire world, that he saw that we failed. But what he also saw is that because we failed, we couldn't make up the difference. And so he said, ah, I know what I'll do. Listen to God's wisdom. I'll come in the form of a man and become like them and pay the price for their deficit, for sin. And then I'll rise again to prove one thing, that just like I rose, they too can rise to a new life. Now, if you believe that the scripture says that God so loved you, that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. And if you believe that with us today, I want you to pray this with us. Say, Jesus, I believe. You are the son of God. I believe that you died and you rose again. I believe that you paid the price for me. Because you love me. Today I declare you're my Lord and Savior that you're my God and from this day forward I'm trusting and following you knowing that you have a better way 
Come on now, if you prayed that, we're celebrating with people all over this place and online the goodness of God and life change. You might have been small, but God has created you for much. Now, Father, we thank you for Jesus and all you've done through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday. We'll see you again next Sunday. Hey, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today. I pray that today's message met you right where you are and that God spoke to you powerfully. If you're interested in staying up to date with previous sermons, new content as we go live, or just being up to date with anything and everything that we're doing, please take the moment to subscribe to our YouTube page. Please make sure also to turn on your notification setting on the YouTube channel so that that way you get notified whenever we're going live. Lastly, I just want to thank you for your partnership and I want to ask you to continue in partnership with us with your giving by giving at our website at ctbny.com backslash give or through our Church at the Bridge app. God bless and can't wait to see you again next Sunday.